this. So welcome to another uh, week of summer at his place, and we're t- talking about various topics this summer. Uh, and uh, today's actually a great day. We're going to have water baptisms at the end of the service. Uh, there's free snow cones after service. Come on. Amen. That'll be great. And uh, for those of you that are going to new at his place, which is our, our growth track, our one-step growth track, it's going to be right after the snow cones. But you that are going to new at his place, you get to buck the line. Okay? So you just say, I'm going to new at his place. And, and y'all just say, go on, go on. <laughs> go on. And then, you know, you know, if there's like 30 of them, you know, you might want to question a few of them because there's not quite that many registered for new at his place. So uh, just uh, trust your honesty there. Amen. I want you to think about your life for a minute this morning. What is your greatest need? What's your greatest need? Like if this was satisfied, everything else would be different. What's your greatest need? You know, most of us, we think about something about money or health or family, relationships, something like that. Um, but the reality is it's, it's something much, much deeper. And here's the thing about what I'm going to share today, your greatest needs. Um, here's the thing. All of us start at the same place. And we have the same, once we're born, every one of us have the same greatest need. It's, it's identical for everyone. But once that need is met by a decision that you make, then you have another need. And, and so some of you are in the first need today, but some of you are also in the second need and, uh, and you've moved on from the first. So I, I'm going to help us figure out our greatest need today and help you meet that need. And so what we're going to look at today is that the greatest need of every unsaved or lost person and the greatest need of every person who has put their faith and trust in Jesus and now is a believer, and what to do about each of those greatest needs. So let's begin with the greatest needs of what we would call someone that's unsaved, an unbeliever, lost, or different terms, uh, you know, just trying to figure out where their relationship with God is. And, and here's the thing about it. All of us have a condition. All of us have a condition. It's the, the greatest need is, starts with our condition. We've got to understand we have a condition. Romans 3.23 says, For everyone has sinned, all, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. When I, when I was in high school for a little bit, I tried out to be a high jumper. What's, what's the laughter? This white boy could jump. I mean, the coach said that I should do that. So there's this, you know, the Fosbury flop and there's this, this whole thing, right? You know, but, but, but the bar is always higher than, than I could jump. And the same thing is true in our spiritual life. And no matter how good we are, the bar is always higher because perfection is the standard. And, and so we're all born sinners separated from God. No child, they're cute, but they're not innocent. Okay. They're not innocent. And if you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, um, let me ask you this. Are you a sinner? You don't have to answer out loud, but I want you to think about it. Are you a sinner? The right answer is yes, because we know we're not perfect, right? And, we, and, and you know, some people say, well, maybe we should talk more about sin. I, my belief is that most people know they're a sinner. You just know you're a sinner. You don't measure up. And, but the problem is most of us measure our goodness by comparing ourselves to someone we know is worse than, the, than we are. Amen. That's our standard. So the bar we set is not God's standard. It's, well, that person. And I'm above them, right? We, we, it's pride, right? But here's what James 2.10 says. For the person who keeps all of the laws, all of God's laws, except one, 
is as guilty as a person who has broken all of God's laws. And some of you are thinking, well, let's just go break them all. No, 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 that's not the right attitude. That's not the right way to look at it. See, our thinking that we're not as sinful as as someone else doesn't change our sinfulness. Just because we say, well, we're better than that, you're still a sinner. I'm, I'm still a sinner in our sin nature. And so our sin nature, we have a sin nature. It's our propensity to do the opposite of what God desires for us always causes us to fall short of God's glorious standard, like the verse said. God's standard is perfection, Every, you know, doing everything we do, not just outwardly, come on, but inwardly. Your motives, you know, the things that you've trained yourself not to actually say out loud, but you think, most of those are probably far short of God's glorious standard, right? Right. It's just not where, so it's an impossible standard to keep, but it's actually not God's fault. It's Adam's. It's Adam's. Who's who's Adam? Well, here's what Romans 5, 12 says, when Adam sinned, he was the first creation, God created Adam. Sin entered the world. Before Adam sinned, there was no sin in the world. Everything was perfect. Adam was perfect. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone for everyone sinned. So, so you, get, you, 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 have, you are a sinner because of your genealogy, and you're also a sinner because of your actions and how you live. We just lean right into that, right? And so... You can read all about it in Genesis chapter 3, but there God created in Genesis 1, created Adam and then Eve. But in Genesis 3, we see the serpent, Satan, right? He came and he deceived Eve. Why does God lay it at the feet of Adam? Because Eve was deceived, but this will be important for later. Adam did not take his authority. He had authority over all the creeping things. God had given him authority. You can read about it in Genesis 1 over everything that crawled on the earth. And that serpent was, was just right there, right? And so because of Adam's sin and the union between Adam and Eve produced children with a sin nature. In fact, right out of the gate, one of their kids killed the other kid. I mean, it didn't even take multiple generations. It was just right away sin. So when you fast forward, this is what the Bible says about us in Romans and them, Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin, or the result, the the production of sin, is always death. Wherever there's sin in your life, it's producing death. You may not see it, you may not recognize it, it may not be fully developed yet, but there is is a, a, a cancer, if you will, spreading in that area that there's sin. It produces death. And so sin is why every relationship decays without work without effort, right? It's why kids fight. It's why nations war. Sin. That, that death is that we are born also spiritually apart and separated from God. We're actually dead to God the way we're born. We, we, have, we have no connection. So by definition, we're sentenced to hell upon our own death, physical death. And here's the thing I love. God saw our plight. And he loved us so much that he made provision. It was his provision. Because of God's great love for us, he sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. In fact, Jesus said in John 1, there was a man named Nicodemus. This is the story. Jesus, a religious leader who was a Pharisee after dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, 
We all know that God has sent you to teach us your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Cannot see it. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can, this is a religious guy, remember? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. He, humans can only reproduce human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So until that birthing happens, there's spiritual death. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. So your parents, you know, they gave you physical life, but only God can give you spiritual life. Which is why Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but... Everyone say but. but. There's some good buts in the Bible. <laughs> but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. It's a free gift. We can't earn it. We can't be good enough. But through his death, burial, and his resurrection, Jesus paid off the sin debt, bought authority. He took care of what we could not pay, and he purchased for us life eternal. That was God's provision for our hopeless condition. Now, here's the thing. If we're going to get this greatest need met, we've got to make a choice. We have a choice. So my question today is, what have you done with the free gift? What have you done with what Jesus did? The, the, the greatest need of an unsaved person is to be born again. That's that need. See, here's the thing you got to remember. God never sends anyone to hell. People go to hell because they choose not to accept God's provision of forgiveness and relationship through Jesus Christ. That's why people go to hell. God already paid the way. You know, it's like if, if, if I put a million dollars... I don't have it, but if I put a million dollars into your bank account and you just didn't go, you didn't ever go access it, it's not my fault. That's on you, right? And so, so if we reject the free gift of Jesus, then we remain separated from God and we remain on our way to a, a, a separation for eternity from God. And that's, that's hell, right? So only in this life can we make a decision to give our lives back to God. Once you're dead, the decision is final. And sometimes people say, well, I'll get it together later. Well, you don't know if you're going to have a later. And I'm not trying to put fear in you, but it just doesn't make even logical sense to say, I'm going to put it off. It's just, it's just not wise. So there's another aspect to our choice. Choosing the free gift of salvation offered through Jesus makes possible, and this is what's so amazing, an incredible relationship with God through Christ. Amen. It's not just about eternity. It's about this life, and it's about having a Savior that loves you and cares about you and is with you, promise never to leave you nor forsake you on your darkest day when you feel the most alone. He is the nearest. He's right there. The Bible even says he sticks closer than a brother. Romans 2, 3, and 4 says, And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, you know, we looked at, well, they're doing that, and then over here we're doing the same thing, right? Do you think that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the richness of His goodness, His forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing, look at this, that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? 
That's what it is. It's the goodness of God that leads us to, to repentance. Have you ever discovered the goodness of God? If you haven't known the goodness of God, that's my prayer for you today. If you don't have a relationship with God and you haven't seen His goodness, it changes you. When you realize what you really deserve and the goodness of God is available and you begin to see it when this could have happened, God spared me, God did this, God did that. When you begin to recognize it, all that can pour out of your heart is gratitude and a desire for a greater relationship with Him. Got to remember this, life is hard, but God is good. God is good. Some of us, we go through hard things of life and we think God, God is bad and God is hard. God is never good. He's al- or never bad. He's always good. He's always good. So I pray that you find the goodness of God. But even if you don't believe yet that there's really a heaven to gain or a hell to shun, just choose Jesus for a relationship. You know, sometimes we get all messed up about heaven and hell. Choose, choose Jesus for a relationship. And today, before we leave, you're going to be given an opportunity to put your faith and trust in Jesus. And when you do, your greatest need without Christ will have been met. What we're doing when we pray that prayer at the end of service is we're not just, you know, praying a little prayer. We're actually saying, because the Bible says Jesus is Lord. We're actually saying, I I accept you as my Lord. I'm, you're already Lord. I'm just, I'm just going to let you be Lord in me. That's, that's really what getting saved is. Me. Instead of doing your own thing, you're going you're gonna to let him be Lord. Amen? Now, many, most of us here probably have already put our faith and trust in Jesus to forgive us of our sins. We've made him the Lord of our life. Yes, he's working on things of, uh, in us. We have eternal life. But you, you have, most of you in here, probably every one of you have already given your life to the Lord, have this second need. And until this need is met, your walk with God can be crippled. It can leave you vulnerable to the attacks of Satan. You can live a defeated life, no joy, no peace, no encouragement, down, discouraged, disgusted all the time, and a hundred other D words. That's what your life can look like. And, and you can get to the place where you wonder, was it even worth it to give my life to Christ? And it's not because God did anything wrong or God hasn't done something. He's waiting for us, okay? So let's talk about the greatest need of believers. Turn to to somebody and say, I believe. All right, just make sure you're a believer here. But let me ask you this. Do you feel powerless against the lies, deceptions, strategies of the devil? Just like, oh, I'm always messing up. I'm always giving in. I, I got this sin over here and... And it's just getting bigger and bigger, and I can't get rid of it, and I don't have... It's just, I, just always there. It's always an issue. And then when you go to God, do you feel condemned? You know? Like you're just not worthy enough to make the ask that you're making in prayer. You know, last week we taught you, taught you how to speak to your mountain. Take authority over the devil. Do you, do you just not do that because you're like, man, I'm just not holy enough. Maybe a pastor would pray for me. Maybe a prayer partner. If you ever feel like this, that, then I want you to listen very closely today. 
See, many Christians pray like that if they pray at all. God, you know, I'm just so unworthy. Just been a sinner, sinner, sinner all week. You know, I just can't, I, I, I just, I'm not even worthy of your grace. Now, you're already a believer, but you're praying like that. You know, God, I really need your help today. I'm just a horrible person. I'm a failure. This Christian life, just, ah. Uh. God, just please do what you can do in spite of how awful I am. Let me just ask, anybody ever felt that way? Anybody? Come on, just be honest. Honesty is a good thing. Anybody? Yeah, yeah. Here's what Proverbs 23, 7 says, For as man thinks in his heart, so is he. So how you see yourself is really, really important. So what's the greatest need of believers? Here it is. Believe that you are righteous in Christ. Believe that you are in right standing with Christ. That's what righteousness means. It means you're in right standing with God. But, but pastor, how can that be? I miss it. I make mistakes. I sin. God's standard is perfection. And, and I'm just not measuring up. Well, here's the thing. Welcome to the club. That's true for all of us, right? But believing you're in right... Listen carefully. Believing that you're in right standing with God changes your mindset. It, Romans 12, 1 and 2 says we're transformed by the renewing of our minds. So we've got to get a new mindset on. Changes your mindset. It changes your approach to how you serve God. Changes your approach to how you resist the attacks of the enemy and a whole lot more. So I want to give you some verses today that can help you understand how to get this great need met when you fall short, even when you fall short. And if you'll grasp this, it will transform your Christian life. It's probably not a one-message fix. So I'm going to extend on this next week, so just come back. Amen? Here's what the Bible says about you. You know, that moment that you gave your life to Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. So do you belong to Christ? Well, how, 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 how would, you might be thinking, well, how would I know? Well, when you prayed a prayer like we prayed at the end of every service, what happened is, you may not know it, you switched teams. You went from team self or team Satan to team God. That's what happened. Here's what 1 John 5, 18 and 19 says. We know that God's children do not make a practice of sinning for God's son holds them securely. Remember that. And the evil one cannot touch them. 19, we know that we are children of God and that the world around us is under the control of the evil one. There's only two teams. Team self, team Satan, or team God. And so our choice determines what team we're on. We're born into team self. Ever been around kids? Ever been around adults? Selfishness, right? We do what's, you know, you do you. Do what's best for you, right? That's the mindset. 
or we can choose to be team, team God. Now, here's what 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you, was given to you by God. You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. I want you to look at that line, for God bought you with a high price. What was that price? Jesus, right? So the death of Jesus on the cross paid the price for our, our sins, for our purchase, pending our approval. That's really what happened. It's, if you follow sports, it's like a no-trade clause in sports, okay? You can, when you have a no-trade clause, you can only be traded to a different team if you approve, if you consent. So what happened was Team God gave up the owner's son, Jesus, to purchase you. And when you said yes, now Team God owns your rights. They're in charge. The Holy Spirit is in charge. So if you belong to God, and all believers do, then according to 2 Corinthians 5, 17, you're a new person. Turn to somebody and say, I'm a new person. Come on, a little attitude will help you. How? How can that be? Same body, same emotions. See, I didn't get looking any better. Oh, that's a whole other thing. We'll talk about that sometime. But here's the thing. The new creation is the real you, a spirit, the spirit man. The spirit on the inside of you is brand new. It was dead to God. Now it's alive to God. Okay? So when you, when you gave your life, when you said, I accept your lordship, Jesus, you became a new person. Your spirit inside of you, is the real you, is now alive to God. Think about the implications. You're alive to God. You were dead to God. You could have been in church 100 years, but until you make Him Lord, you're dead to God. But the moment you make that decision, you're now alive to God. His spirit lives on the inside of you. What, what capabilities are possible? See, your spirit is now perfect, sinless. Right? in relationship with God. Can't get any better. You're alive to God. And you have the capacity, listen to this, you have the capacity in your spirit to live every day fully pleasing to God. Every single day. Some of you are like, I, 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 I can't be possible. In your spirit, you have all the capability of pleasing God. Because the real you, your spirit man, is fully right with God. It's made alive by God. So in God's eyes, you are righteous. What does that mean? Right standing. So listen, when you give your life to Jesus and God looks at you, he no longer sees your sin. He no longer sees your sinfulness. Even though on the other side, he's working by the Holy Spirit to eliminate the remaining traces of sin in your life. He chooses because of what Jesus did to see through Jesus and see you as perfect, righteous, right standing. You're his kid. It's incredible. See, when God looks your way and you say, I've been terrible, it's like, what's he talking about? All he sees is the blood of Jesus. You've been made right. In his eyes, he's washed away your sins. 1 John 1, 9 says, But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from some of our wickedness. Is that what it says? 
What does it say? I can't hear you. What does it say? All. So what's not, what sin is not included in all? None of them. If you've repented, if you've asked God to forgive you, they're all washed away. He'll cleanse you from that wickedness. So when we confess our sins, we're agreeing with the thoughts of God's words that, and, and that our actions, our thoughts, the way we behave, we're sin and we're asking him to forgive us. And he forgives it all. He forgives it all. And some of you are like, I think, I don't know if this is right, Pastor. Because I don't feel that way. That's the whole problem. Most of us live our Christian life by how we feel. Did you make a church? No, I didn't feel like it. Come on now. If you wait till you feel like it, see here, choices lead, feelings follow. If you wait to your feelings, you'll not always do the right thing. Amen. Amen? Check this verse out, verse 21, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made almost right with God through Christ. Is that what it says? No. Made right. What's left out of made right? Nothing. Nothing. Right. The sinless Christ placed our sin on himself so we could have right standing with God when we choose to believe. The NIV says it this way. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him, not in our own strength, in Christ, we might become, there it is again, the righteousness of God. In other words, he imputed, he gave to us. We're not righteous in our own strength, but because of Jesus we put our faith in, God imputes on us the righteousness that Jesus purchased. That's why water baptism, which we're going to celebrate with a couple of folks in a few minutes, that's why water baptism, water baptism is the first step after you pray that prayer to give your life to the Lord. Why? Because in God's eyes, you're righteous. He said, I'm so messed up. Yeah, he knows it. He said, I can look at you as messed up or I can look at you as righteous. And what he does is he looks at you as righteous. Sins are forgiven. Here's the thing, though. Isn't it amazing that the first thing you do after being saved is you be water baptized? You don't know a bunch of the Bible. You haven't got your act together. Neither do the rest of us in our own strength. But you can be water baptized not because you're perfect, but because you're righteous. Because you're righteous in His sight. So water baptism is going public with our faith and following the example of of Jesus Christ. So think about water baptism for a minute. When an individual goes under the water, they're what? Wet is the word you're looking for. <laughs> they are soaked. They are covered in that water, right? Is that what happens? So that water reminds us that when we put our faith and trust in Christ, that just as we're wet when we go under the water, we're righteous after salvation. That righteousness covers us. That we're in right standing with God. It's an amazing thing. So, so being in right standing with God is huge. 
Now, just we, we, could we could talk for a long time on this, but I'm not, okay? So what happens when you begin to view yourself not as perfect in your own strength, but righteous in His sight? You begin to approach God differently. Your prayer life changes. You're not coming to just a week worm in the dust. Hope I make it today. You're like, oh God, thank you for your righteousness. Thank you that because of your name and your authority, I can take authority over this thing and that thing. And I can, I can defeat through Christ's power this sin and that sin. And I'm no longer a slave to that thing. And I can get over that thing. Come on, right? That's right. You're no longer timid to use the name of Jesus. Because, you know, we all remember the sons of Sceva who used the name of, tried to cast out demons in, in the in book of Acts with the, the, the name of Jesus that Paul preaches, but they didn't have a relationship. And the demons grabbed those guys and stripped them naked and sent them out of the house. He said, well, I don't want to be that guy. But you're saved. They didn't have that. You're born again. You have authority. Amen? Here's what, see, what happens is if you're righteous in God's eyes, which you are if you're a believer, and you believe you're righteous in God's eyes, okay, then what's going to begin to happen is you're going to have the fruits of righteousness in your life. That's going to be produced. Because, see, when you think, well, I'm just powerless, I'm never going to make it, and I can't do anything, that's what your life's going to look like. Slave to sin, can't get over stuff, well, I'm living in unforgiveness, just, just, you know, miserable person, just, but I'm serving Jesus, praise the Lord. When you get that idea, you're righteous, put your shoulders back. I'm on the team of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. And he traded his son for me. He gave his life on my behalf. I was dying. I was on the way to hell. Jesus died for me. You go from being a nobody to being a somebody. Amen. Amen? And you begin to live. And so when you begin to live that way, Philippians 1.11 says, May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation. You're righteous. The righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. So if you are righteous and you begin to live out of that righteousness, you're going to be increasingly obedient to God. It's a natural byproduct. So when you find yourself struggling with a sin, most of the time we, we, went, we go look at the sin and like, well, what's wrong with that? Why am I struggling? No, go look at what your thinking is about who you are. Because the sins that have you captive right now, most of you think, well, that's just my deal. That's just my sin. Mama said I'd never amount to much. Daddy said I'd, Daddy never said ended anything to me. I don't even know who Daddy was. All of those kinds of things, they go through our mind and they put us in a place that we don't need to be. But when you know you're righteous, you will begin to produce the fruits of righteousness in your life. But what's the challenge? And I face this one big time in my life, in my younger years especially. Condemnation. Feeling condemned. That sense of failure that sense of inferiority, that I'm just always falling short of God's best. Yes, it's our choices. Yes, it's our sin. But here's the thing. Listen carefully. You are no longer trapped in that sin. In fact, technically, every sin you battle is defeated. Every one of them. Even that one that you're thinking about right now. It is already defeated. 
It's just that you keep believing it's more powerful than the blood of Jesus. That it's more powerful than, than what he's giving you. It, that you need that to get past your anxiety. You need that to deal with what you've been through, the hurt and the trauma, the pain you've been through in your life. I just need that. That's my little crutch to get through. And what Jesus is saying today, let me be your crutch. I'm a cripple, but I, I'm, I'm willing to go with Jesus. Amen? It'll begin to change, change your perspective. You're no longer, that's a, that's a lie from the devil. And here's the thing about condemnation, it can be overwhelming. So I love what Romans 8, 1 and 2 says. So now, when? Not when you leave here. That'll be now then, but it's not now now. So right now, everyone say right now. There is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. None. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit, the Holy Spirit, has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Do you get that? You belong to Jesus so you're freed from the power of sin. Let that be a revelation. Revelation is when you know it in your head, but it drops down to your heart and becomes a belief. Let that be a revelation on the inside of you. So, yes, there's a battle. You have a sin nature. Your flesh wants to do things. That's what the Bible calls it, your flesh. Yet God's not condemning us. He's not doing that. See, condemnation says, and it's of the enemy, give up, it ain't worth it. Give up, you're never going to defeat that. Just give in to that because you don't have any power anyway because, you know, you're probably, man, you know, last time you did it, you weren't right standing with God and boy, you don't even, why, why are you even trying? That's condemnation. Conviction is from the Holy Spirit. See, Condemnation's from the unholy spirit. Demonic devil forces, right? Conviction is from the Holy Spirit. He's saying, come on, repent. Ask God for forgiveness. And God doesn't just forgive. 1 John 1, 9 says, He cleanses you from all wickedness. Not just washes it away, gives you a clean slate, but gives you power over the wickedness that you're fighting in your life. And then just keep remembering, you're righteous in God's eyes. So just approach Him that way. So here's, here's the next step for today. Break off condemnation and live with God's power. And I'll add a little bit more. Come back next week for more. Amen? Amen. Now I want to do this before we close here today. I, I want us to bow our heads. And if you would just be honest enough with me, everybody close your eyes, bow your heads, and you just say, Pastor, I struggle with condemnation. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up? Just be honest with me. I'm not going to ask you to come down here. I'm not going to ask you to do anything. Just I struggle with it. I, str I struggle with my past. I struggle with what I've been through. Yeah, you can put your hands down. Thank you for that honesty. Let's keep our heads down. I'm going to pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, right now, we break off this condemnation. Lord, I just declare that if they have given their lives to you, they are righteous in your sight. And so, Father, we declare victory for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Say this with me if, if you're a believer here. Say this with me. Father, I thank you that I'm righteous in your sight, that you have made me right. 
that my old life is gone, that I'm a new creation, I'm alive to God on the inside, that I can stand my ground, that I can have the victory. Father, I thank you that I get to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Isn't that good? Amen. Yeah, go ahead and clap. It's all right. Let's bow our heads one more time because there's maybe somebody here today that you, you, you're still facing the first challenge, the first great need you have, and that is you've never asked Jesus to truly, you've never given him permission to truly be Lord of your life. He's Lord, but you've just never let him lead you. And you need to give your life to him, ask him to forgive your sins. If that's you today, with every head bowed, every eye closed, you say, I need that. I need to give my life to Jesus today. Would you lift your hand? Anybody? You can just lift your hand. I see that hand. I see other hands. Amen. You can put your hands down. Let's pray this with those of us who have already made this great decision. And let's give our lives to the Lord. Say this with me. Heavenly Father, I come to you today. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. and Make me a new person from the inside out. God, I turn away from that old life. And I turn to you. God, I believe. Jesus died on the cross for my sins, that you resurrected him from the dead. And so today, Jesus, be my Lord, be my Savior. I surrender my life to you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen.